Welcome to this episode of A Life in the Din. I'm your host, Daniel Buckwalter, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the two questions every disciple of Jesus must be able to answer. Today we're going to talk about the two simple questions that all of us should be able to answer. First, who are you being discipled by? And second, who are you discipling? So let's look at that first question. Who are you being discipled by? This is an important question because in our world we have bought into a lie that discipleship is a choice. And I am talking on a broader level than the specific idea of being discipled by Jesus. Now, obviously, as I've said in earlier episodes, if you want to follow Christ, you must be a disciple. But everyone is being discipled by someone or something. And the truth is, if we cannot give an account for what is discipling us, we are probably being shaped by things that do not call us to Christ's likeness. When we don't keep an account of what we're taking in, what we're spending our time on, often we look back and realize that we gave much more time to things that are counterintuitive to the kingdom of God than things that are good and great for growing in Christ's likeness. So an idea I want to press on each of you today is that everything is formational. We've been taught that our minds are what shapes us, but the actions we choose in every moment of every day are shaping who we are. Now, I'm not going to go into all the science of it because I'll be honest, I just don't know a ton about that. I know the basics, but I am far from a biologist or a neurologist or or anything that is cool. (laughs) I simply just am a guy sitting here who loves Jesus, but what studies show is that our brains and the way they work are shaped by the actions that we do. John Mark Comer says it like this. In the pre-Freud West, human flourishing was about saying yes to the right desires, the higher desires for love, and no to the lower desires, the baser, more appetite kind of desires. And you would navigate your desires by the mental maps that were handed down to you by a trusted but external authority source, ideally Jesus himself and his teachings that come to us through the New Testament, in order to not repeat the mistakes of previous generations and to carry forward those generations' cumulative wisdom. After all, you're not the first human to ever live where I repeat other people's mistakes. And the reason I bring that quote up is because I want us to start thinking about how the way we look at the world has shifted. We've got into this place where we constantly deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves about the message of the gospel. We deceive ourselves about what our actions actually do to us. And so often we start building up these habits and these addictions and these things that control the way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act. You know, scripture in Matthew chapter 3 verse 2 says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I could do a whole episode on why this is a summary of the gospel right here. But I don't have time for that, so we'll probably come back to it at a later time. But this concept, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is a powerful one. Because if we understand where the word repent comes from and teshuva, this idea of turning and going the other way, is that when the kingdom of God is at hand and you see it and you're a part of it, you're going to turn and go away from what you've been doing. 
And so often we convince ourselves that we are not what we do. A great book, and honestly, the first time I read it, I didn't appreciate it for what it was, but James K.A. Smith wrote a book called You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit. And in this book, he kind of starts to tie, tie into this idea that everything is formational. And he says in this, your deepest desires, he observes, is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. This is because our action, our doing, bubbles up from our loves, which as we, are, as we have observed, our habits we've acquired through the practices we're immersed in. That means the formation of my love and desires can be happening under the hood of consciousness. I might be learning to love a telos that I'm not even aware of and that nonetheless governs my life in unconscious ways. Wow, that is powerful, and it's exactly what we have done. We go through life on autopilot. So often, I've had conversations with people where they say, well, I struggle with this, or I don't know why my mind thinks about this, and then we start talking about, well, the music that we listen to, and the shows that we watch, and the people we hang out with, and the things that they say, everything we do, everything that we eat, everything that we watch, everything we listen to is forming us in some way, shape, or form. When I was a senior in high school, I did not like Christmas music, and I'll be honest, I've kind of grown in that. I'm actually a really big fan of Christmas music now, but at the time, I despised Christmas music. I thought it was repetitive, I thought it wasn't interesting, and I did not want to listen to it. So during this time, I would set my car radio to play secular worship, not secular worship music, I'd set my car radio to play regular songs on the radio, just the things that I grew up listening to and what were popular at the time. And what I found during this time is that sins that I had started to struggle with less, things that I had started to think about less, would become more prevalent in my life again because I would listen to songs that cultivated those thoughts. That the music that I was listening to for hours on end each day were shaping the way my mind thought about certain issues and how often certain thoughts would come in. Because the reality is, music, especially for the younger generation, is a big part of our lives. And if we listen to songs that tell us to do certain things, or create certain images, over and over and over again in our minds, they start to imprint the ethos of that music into our mind, and the ways that we act, and the ways that we live. And we live in a culture that is now full of addiction, or what some people call just bad habits. The funny part, though, is when we look at Scripture, Paul didn't call things addictions or bad habits. He called it slavery. Because what happens is we have trapped ourselves in these endless cycles where our spirit longs and yearns for our freedom, but our flesh rules out and we never reach the place that we want to go and the place that God is calling us to go to. And a story I think of from Scripture that captures this so well is the Pharaoh in Exodus with his heart being hardened. When you look at Scripture, it's actually fairly ambiguous about who for the first couple of plagues is hardening Pharaoh's heart. But for the sake of this conversation, I believe it's fair to say that Pharaoh was hardening his own heart until it says, and it's not ambiguous anymore, saying the Lord is hardening his heart. And what happens is at first, Pharaoh will not relent and give Aaron and Moses what they're asking for. And he continues to do it, and he continues to fight against God and say, God, I will not do what you're saying your people need to do, but I'm going to follow my own mind, my own desires, my own power, my own advisors, and go a different way. And he hardens his own heart and does not relent. 
And what happens is he gets to a point where his actions have taken him so far in a certain direction that he can no longer back out of it. And we even get to the end of the story and he finally relents and says he's going to let God's people go. But if we stop and think for a bit, often big rulers rule off of power. And he was letting a massive portion of the workforce go. And I can only imagine that he ended up in this position where he either was to chase down the Israelites and slaughter them to grab hold of the power and to silence those who might want his seat or his authority or his military or face death back on the throne. Now, I am putting a little bit of that into the story, and I'll confess that, but I think it's a reality and it really captures this idea that sometimes when we start to go down paths, that there are consequences that come with our actions. And while God doesn't want those for us, as we pattern our flesh and give our flesh so much control over us and we, we live under the powers and principalities of this world and buy into their systems and their ways of life, we get to a point where we are trapped in the systems that we have chosen to surrender ourselves to. Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, or sorry, doesn't just form our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas in our mind. He's after nothing less than our wants, our loves, our longings. Really what he wants is our actions because of how much that we love him. And so as we live in this world, we have to ask what and who are we being discipled by? Are the things that are shaping us, shaping us to be people who follow Christ more, who love people more, who are, are a more active participant in the kingdom of God? So we have to be able to answer this question, who we're being discipled by and what are we being discipled by? Because if we're not tracking, if we're not keeping account for what we're watching, for what we're putting into our minds, for the people who are feeding into us, then we are being shaped in a way that calls us away from Christ over and over and over again. And I truly believe so many of us have gotten trapped in this vicious spin cycle and we don't know how to get out. And the way that we start to get out is to recognize that everything in this world is formational. Every choice that we make is forming us. And one day when we stand in front of God, we will give an account for what we have chosen to do and what we have chosen not to do. And I will confess, I have things in my life that are just taking control. Something I've struggled with so long in my life, and if anyone who knows me will know this, I struggle with giving video games too big of a spot in my life where it starts off saying, well, I can just play a little bit. And then I start playing more and then I play more, and then I play more, and then before I know it, I'm wasting entire days just playing video games instead of doing the things that God has called me to do with my time. And not only that, but as I play more, I let it speak into my life more. Then I revert back to being a person that is not who God has called me to be. Anger starts to come into me. I start to speak in a different way. Words that I would not usually use start to come out of my mouth because I start to go back into the system of young Daniel before Christ and into the culture that I lived in before I started following Jesus. We have to be aware of what we're investing ourselves in and how we're being shaped. What our goal should be as disciples of Jesus is to cling to the cross, to cling to Christ. And so we want to surround ourselves with things that are going to build us up and call us closer. We want to put spiritual disciplines into our lives that are going to form and shape us into being the people of God. 
The second question that we're going to look at today, if you can think back, is we're going to talk about who are you discipling? Gary Truesdell in Miraculous Movements says Westerners are in love with well-packaged mass marketing of the gospel. In the church, as in advertising, growth is as numbers games about getting as many impressions as possible out of the masses. Mass communication and evangelism may have their place, but they show no signs of dramatically transforming the world. But Jesus gave almost all of his attention to intentionally discipling just 12 men, especially focusing on four of them. The results speak for themselves. Can we do better investing in Christian mass messaging, and once a week preaching services. Now, I'm not going to get into the big debate about what the methodology of church should look like, but discipleship matters. And often we hear people say, well, does it get better results than what we the Western church does on Sundays? But I just want us to pause all of that conversation for a second, and I want us to start in a simple place, that Jesus told his followers to go and make disciples of everybody. That Jesus looked at his disciples and said, your goal, what I am saying your mission is, is to go and make disciples of all nations. To go lead people, not into believing into me, but into living into the kingdom of God, which takes us back to Matthew 3, where it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. God wants us to live into his kingdom and to bring as many people who are willing to come with us. It is essential to understand that pastors are not the only individuals who are anointed, not the only individuals who hear from God or possess the Holy Spirit. Each of us is filled with the Holy Spirit and taught by the Father, just as the New Testament disciples were. We have the same tools and calling as pastors to make disciples, but we may have been deceived or willfully ignorant of our calling by Christ. Therefore, we must remember our call to go and make disciples. And frequently, I hear this all the time, we use certain passages of scripture to justify hiding behind our specific roles, such as being an evangelist or a teacher. However, it's important to remember that God does not assign less value to any vocation that a believer may have. For centuries, and I feel like our culture really disrespects this vocation, but mothers have been a driving force behind the church and have played a crucial role in making disciples. If you go back and you look at church history, the people who were doing most of the discipleship, the people who were keeping the church alive in hard times were the women who had dedicated to raising the children and living out the kingdom of God. Similarly, those who work full-time jobs, whether in construction or financial management or any other field, have a responsibility to build the kingdom of God by discipling others. It is crucial, and I mean it is so crucial, to understand that there are no valid excuses or reasons for not attempting to make disciples of Jesus, as this is the responsibility that Christ has given us. This is what he has impressed on us, and this is the mark of his people. Regardless of whether we are introverted or extroverted, charming or awkward, busy or have more free time than anyone in the world, young or old, we must all fulfill this burden. This burden to pick up our cross, to walk with Christ daily, to be his holy people, and to go and make disciples. Jesus told the apostles to make disciples and teach them to observe all things that I commanded you. 
The first commandment in that verse was to make disciples, and the second commandment was to teach the new disciples to obey all of Jesus' commands. That would include teaching the new disciples to obey the first command, aka to make disciples. In other words, Jesus told the apostles to make disciples who will make disciples. And yes, all disciples, if I haven't made this clear, are to be disciple makers. Not because I say it, not because some pastor says it, not because someone in a house church says it, not because anything, but simply, putting it simply, because this is what scripture says. It says all of those who are disciples of Christ are people who are supposed to go make disciples. So if we're looking in the mirror today and we're saying, I don't know who I'm discipling then we have a serious problem on our hands. And we are going to have to look at what Scripture says and wrestle with the fact that we're not doing what it's called us to do. On the bright side, though, this is a super easy thing to go and change. If you're looking at your life in this very moment thinking, man, I don't know what to do. It's okay. The truth is, not everyone is destined to become a missionary, to travel the world speaking, or to stand in front of crowds. Similar to many of the teachings of Jesus, this is a collective calling that should be manifested by each person within their respective communities. We're called to serve where we are placed. And that should relieve you because that means, simply put, you just need to start feeding into the people who God has put in your life. You just need to start taking your friends and asking them, and if they're believers in God, Asking them, you know, what has Jesus been teaching you? And then share simply with them what God has been teaching you and challenge them to walk in the ways of the kingdom of God. And maybe I need to do some episodes training over this, but if you're looking for somewhere to start, just start getting with people you know who love you, who trust you, who respect you, and start feeding into their life. When we start to recognize that everything is formational, We realize that the way we walk, the way that we talk, and the way we love other people is part of the process of discipling them. So as we start to close today, I just want to challenge you with these two questions. What are you being discipled by? Are you being discipled by things that are pulling you closer to God or pushing you farther away? And then who are you discipling in your own life? And that brings us to the end of this episode of Life in the Dip. I hope that you've enjoyed your time with me and that you've gained valuable insights and perspectives to help you in your pursuit of following Christ. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with your friends and family and give us a rating and review. Join us next week as we continue to explore and grow together in our faith. Until then, keep following Jesus, and I'll see you next time.